what are we taking from ourselves, that power, that strength, our essence, and how are we influencing the world with it? Is it positive or negative? Then it doesn't become about, am I a bad person? Did I hurt that? With all that confusion, right, that we get stuck in, it becomes very, very clear. You become very, very focused on each action you do and has it done good for the world or has it taken away from the world? Welcome to Spiritually Hungry. <laughs> I'd like to Is start that vocal by... fry. How do you remember that was a thing? Is that still a thing? I don't know. Not things I listen to <laughs> might still be out there in the ether. So I'd like to start by posing a question to our listeners. Nothing for me. I'll get to you. Imagine for a moment that you were immortal. What would you change? How would you think about things differently, or even how would you be different? So, Michael, I know your answers are different than most of our listeners uh, and the world, perhaps, but I'd love to hear your take. What would anything be different? Would anything? Well, be different? I, I think so. I'll answer it in two parts. Mm-hmm. One, I think that there is nothing's coincidental. Nothing's coincidental. So, there's a reason why death exists, and I think for many people, the finality of death. The, the thought of death is often what inspires us to to live with urgency. Well, most people avoid thinking about death, though. Right, but but you know there is a concept, you know, a spiritual concept, you know, memento mori, right? And it's a capitalistic concept as well to really to take time to think about death. Uh, death is meant to be, and the reason it exists, for amongst other reasons, is as a catalyst, as a, as a driver for the 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 need for immediacy to do to to create. And so on. I think, on one hand, clearly death is a necessary uh, reality right now. On the well, other it hand, informs us on how to live a well-meaningful life, right? Right, right. I mean, we, I think we might have spoken about it, but it's for many people. I think it's the it's the would it be well-meaningful or well-meaning life, right? What did you say? I didn't, I'm not really sure. I don't think it was correct, though. <laughs> what did you? Oh, okay. anyway, yes. Meaningful life, you mean? Well, I wanted to say well-meaning, but I'm not sure. And then, of course, you could say meaningful, but yeah, I don't know what well-meaning, well-meaning, intentioned, whatever. <clears throat> Anywho, so certainly, for some people, if they were immortal, it would not have a positive effect. Well, yeah, I mean, it all depends on how you're living your life, anyway, right? But it might, yeah. I mean, a lot of people still know that there's death, obviously, and they think, oh, you only live once. You know, I'm not going to have. I'm going to do whatever I want and live selfishly or harmfully anyway, right? So I'm not sure that that would. But if if I guess the point is this, and and I think from a spiritual standpoint, the fact that death exists is because death needs to exist, and I think that that means that currently, for the majority of humanity, a life without death would not lead to a better life, as opposed to for the majority of humanity, at least gives the potential, the possibility of living a life. Uh, that has more purpose and more meaning. The fact that it, that that we know that it is finite. Mm-hmm. On a meta level, I think the ideas and spiritually as well. There's these promises of, of 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 immortality, and even science is moving in that direction. That where there will come a time where where people would not have to die. I think that preceding that, there has to be a very big shift in the consciousness of humanity to make it a positive uh, possibility uh, of of extending physical life forever. Right, so that it would only come if people were more conscious and aware. Do you even want to touch that and unpack it? 
I'm not sure everybody believes that there will be a time where death. No, no, and, and again, again, that's a that's a spiritual concept, but it's also, by the way, again, I think science is clearly moving. I, you know, whether it'll take ten years, fifty years, a hundred years, or a thousand years, I think we're definitely moving in the direction of longevity, right? Longer life, and at the end of that, might might come something that uh, that is akin to immortality, even on a physical level. So, in case nobody was paying attention, you didn't actually answer my question. Oh, what would happen to me? <laughs> I would like to say that 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 it would be positive, but the reality is that I think there's a great danger in the removal of the urgency of time. And I think I always take it as a given. If that's my current reality, that means that for my soul's journey, it's better for it to have the concept of of death and 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 finite time. So I'm not sure that it would be a positive if you take off that pressure of a finite life and a finite number of years. I'm not sure that it would be good for me right now. Good answer. I would imagine, though, things like failure or the thoughts and opinions of others wouldn't seem so daunting. I think it would change the way we kind of view. You think? I'm not sure. It might even have the, the, really, the reverse you, effect. Because if. Because I'm saying if you, if you finally knew that you were immortal, you might feel unlimited and unleashed somehow. Unlimited is something else. Immortal is just the fact that, that this life will not end. Some people might want to kill themselves. Right? I mean, look, the reality is people do commit suicide, right? Right, but so, that's, yes. But, but also, I think many times people are so consumed with what the end of their life will look like, or the idea of death, or if they'll get sick and suffer. And I think if you just take that off the table... Maybe there's a freedom I'm there. Sure, I'm sure. I'm sure that that's true for some people. Um, but I'm not sure that it'll free them from caring about what other people. Well, think. that takes work, obviously. No matter if we live or die, right? That takes a lot of work. I'm just saying. I think people would live. I, I think they would unleash. I, there'd be a freedom if you knew that that wasn't something you had to worry about. Because I'm not sure. Time. I'm not sure that I agree. Because I'm not sure that what holds back most people is the fear of death or disease. I think what holds it back. But you don't most think the thoughts is, that that people are consumed by that that, that affects their quality. I know that of life. we I know, know that some people in, who are consumed. But by I know. But I even know that happens if somebody experiences a death of a close relative, but also when somebody's hitting age 70, 80, they start to think like, oh, the end is near. I do think it actually really does create a it limitation can, in terms can. of purpose. But I'm not sure, again, I'm sure, and this is this maybe individually will vary. I think as a general rule, taking away the, 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 the reality of death will not necessarily make people live a more limitless life. I think there's a lot more that has to be done, and hopefully a lot of what we shared in our podcast up until now <laughs> is part of it, that for a person, even if the fear of death is removed, they would live a more limitless life. So I'm not sure that, that writ large, it would make that significant of a difference for a person to, to again, live a limitless life, if they really knew that they, they might, again, like I said, they might just say, well, I have, a, I have an endless amount of years, What's a, I'll do it tomorrow, or the next day, or next year, or, or next century. Well, I'd love for our listeners to write in and tell us who you agree with. Are you are you strong in your opinion? No, I'm not strong on the opinion. Yeah, yeah. I'm not strong. I'm pretty... Because it, consciousness is everything, so it doesn't really, you know. I think for somebody who is already living a life of intention and purpose, I think not having to worry about that day, yeah, it would be liberating and freeing. I do. I think for others who are not as 
self-interested in terms of their growth and transformation i don't think it's actually going to yeah and actually, and actually death might not be able to come too soon for some so i mean certainly that's, that's true for, for some sure. people but also i think for many people it actually makes things worse right because one of the reasons that i that again there's many reasons but one of the reasons i couldn't care less what people think about me is because i know that all this right this physical world within which you live is all not only uh, 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 not real in its truest sense, but it's also not uh, uh, forever. So, but imagine if you told somebody, you know, this is all there is, right? Which is not what you're saying, but and, and this is going to go on forever. Then, oh my God, if everybody thinks I'm an idiot, they're going to think I'm an idiot not just for eighty years, for a hundred years. They're going to think I'm an idiot for a million years. This will go on forever. It's not. I mean, again, if somebody thinks you're an idiot, hopefully you're going to get to the place where you believe enough about yourself that doesn't matter. You realize that person's opinion never really mattered to you in the first place. So that process is supposed to happen whether there's death or not, right? I don't think it's so much that. I don't think it's about, it's about changing your reality while you're in this world. And I think my only point is that for those who are doing that work, having more time to do it, and you're living life that you want, and you're enjoying it, and it's a sense of purpose, and you can do more of those things that are purposeful and love more of the people that you love, right? It's not, you know, it, it, right? That, that's why. But I think that has to proceed, right? So yes, that's the point. We're sure. both saying yes. Yeah. If a person is spiritually awakened, and and their the focus of their lives is on their transformation, on sharing with others, and all the aspects that make a spiritual life, then yes, and which is why I believe that eventually we can come to a state of immortality. But unfortunately, for most of the world today, uh, uh, like I said, I think death is a necessary uh, uh, driver, impetus. So I do want to tap into what science says for a minute before we go into the spiritual. So I think what we're both saying is that the nature of life and of death is only a tiny glimpse of what lies in the unseen realms. And as for science, we only begin to scratch the surface of immortal aspects of the physical universe. So I don't know if anybody knows this. I'm just going to maybe some do, some don't. I think it's kind of fascinating. We learned that stars are born and eventually die. But do they really? The solar energy, radiation, chemical projections, and elements emitted by stars travel through time for billions and trillions of years. And those ejected from dying stars become the building blocks for new stars and heavenly bodies, as well as for any life that may exist in the cosmos. And we talked about this in one of our episodes about nature, right? And how it really informs life. And physicality. So perhaps the star died. Right, and, but, and most of the stars that we see are actually stars that are no longer alive, right? The, the light that we see. Right, which is fascinating. Yeah. So perhaps the stars died, but the parts of that star didn't cease to exist. They just evolved and became new entities. And according to NASA, it says, from the carbon in our DNA to the calcium in our bones, nearly all of the elements in our bodies were forged in the fiery hearts and death throes of stars. So no matter who we are or where we come from, we're each and all made of stardust. It's kind of cool. And that's the only physical aspect of immortality, if we're talking about that, right? Just from that perspective. It's fascinating. Yeah. Did you know that you were made of stardust? I did. Sorry. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> we are made of stars. And then this brings me to another idea that I've actually given a lot of thought to in the last two years. And it's this idea that we stand on the shoulder of giants. And by that, I mean, our words, our thoughts, and our creations can have the, have the potential to render all of us immortal. So for instance, Plato, right? Even though he lived over 2,000 years ago, who hasn't heard of him? A sonnet, a play by Shakespeare, or a poem by Emily Dickinson, or the admired works of many great artists who have long since left this physical realm. So 
in terms of immortality, if we're just thinking about it, in my opinion, these people are all immortal because we're experiencing what they brought to this world every day. In fact, you know that our studio here, where we're filming out of today, this was built in 1920 by somebody we've never known, never met, but we are occupying a space and an energy that they have created. So you can look back at anything in this physical realm and take it to that. And it's a beautiful idea because we leave remnants of ourselves to our children, our family, our work. And that's why it's so important to make sure that what you're spending time and energy on are things that are lasting because when they are, they are everlasting. And then that for me is really what immortality means. Right. And I think, I think you're touching on a very important point, which is that if we can inspire our listeners to really think about their life in this way, which is, yes, there are the, the, the daily needs, but then the daily question should be, and certainly the bigger question about our lives, is what am I leaving behind? More, right. and and more think, than the, yeah, I think people often think that it has to be like the people I just mentioned, like Plato, Emily Dickinson. But how many people like we work with so many, and especially in, in difficult times of their lives. And I'm often so moved by a child who so fully grieves that parent because that parent imprinted on them such wisdom, love, so that that child could then go and flourish. That parent, in my opinion, is everlasting. They are here. Absolutely, now. absolutely. And um, author Donna Goddard said, not knowing the DNA we carry in our bodies, hearts, and minds does not negate it. We are an accumulation of many people, even more so when unaware of it. Once aware, we can choose what to carry and what to relegate to history. I think it's a really important point. And I, and I think that most of us don't spend enough of our lives thinking about, and I said before, what we leave behind is what, what, we're, what we're creating currently that is, that is everlasting. So there's a really beautiful piece written by a, a philosopher, Gabriel Rockhill, uh, in the New York Times about nine years ago. And I remember when, it, when I read it, it really affected me. I've shared it many, many times since. But I wanted to read a few sections from it, because I think it really speaks to this point, and hopefully inspire our listeners to, to really make this a constant part of their lives. So he begins with a story of his childhood. So he said, as a child, I was terrified of death. It was often in the twilight hours between the moment of lying down and the imperceptible instant of slipping off to sleep that the terror would arise. The thought of vanishing completely from the world, of being engulfed in eradicable darkness, would seize upon me and crush with it the very existence of the world. It was not simply that I would no longer be there. It was that reality itself would collapse, devoid of any point of apprehension. Petrified before a void so vast that it could not be contained within thought, let alone a thinking being, it was impossible to know how long it would take to drift off into the abyss that silently beckoned me. So, as a child, he feared death. He feared the, the complete so, darkness and, and, and complete and of reality for him, for the mm -hmm. person. Then he speaks about his, his own child. So now he's obviously older, he's his own child. Today, my eldest child, at the age of six, has fallen prey to these same fears. Mm. With two fingers lodged in his mouth, he pulls down on his lower jaw as if he were trying to hold on to some self-supporting ledge of meaning. He looks up at me from bed in the twilight and asks if everyone will die someday. He wants to know when the scientists will develop a potion that will allow mm. us to live forever. I tell him that I am not certain that it will happen but I cannot help but subtly acquiesce to the consolation it brings him to imagine one day drinking from an enchanted glass and sharing it with his entire family. Yet the fears are still there, 
and he senses my uncertainty. He tries to calculate with his rudimentary arithmetic how many years he will have before he dies. Then he interjects that even his awkward sums might not add up because there could be an accident causing him to die before me. So this all brought him to think about death and to think about life. And this is a point which I think, again, I really hope for our listeners, I know for myself, has been very, very inspiring. So many years later, now he's writing this, he says, it is now patently unclear to me, however, that we ever actually die. Our existence has numerous dimensions, and they each live according to different times. The biological stratum, which I naively took to mean life in general, is in certain ways a long process of demise. We are all dying all the time, just at different rhythms. Far from being an ultimate horizon beyond the bend, death is a constitutive feature of the unfolding of biological life. In other words, I'm confronting my death each day that I live. So on a physical level, he's saying, it's a reality. And it's not only a reality, it's not a a far distant reality. It's a reality that is happening all the time. But, and this is the most important point. Good, because you've depressed all of us. Really? I find this very inspiring. (laughs) The artifacts that we have produced persevere, which can range from our physical imprint on the world to objects we have made or writings like this one. Mm-hmm. There is as well a psychosocial dimension that survives our biological withdrawal, which is visible in the impact that we have had, for better or worse, mm-hmm. on all the people around us. In living, which, and this is really beautiful, we trace awake in the world. If biological death appears to some as an endpoint to existence, there is nevertheless a longevity to our physical, artifactual, and psychosocial lives they intertwine and merge with the broader world out of which we are woven. An invitation, this is, he says, an invitation to face up to the ways in which our lives are actually never simply our own. Mm-hmm. And this is the point. The point is, I think, you know, a person thinks, what am I, what's going to happen to me when, when the person dies? But in reality, the thought should be, what is happening to the world as I live? And this is the I don't think, I really don't think we think about this often enough. Meaning, if how am I influencing the world? Yeah, what my wake? What kind of wake am I am I leaving? And even on the most basic level, the fact that I yelled at that person on the corner because he walked into the crosswalk ahead of me, I've now that's a wake that stays. A thousand. Percent. And that maybe that maybe then he'll yell at us. But the, the, the understanding that, or like the, we said last week, if you go and speak to a stranger and you go out of your way and you made them feel good, and that's that's exactly. another imprint. That's Everything the wake we, live, we do matters, and and it stays, and it stays beyond us. And therefore, he says, some of these can never truly die because they do not belong only to us. Mm-hmm. They carry on in the physical world, in the material and cultural vestiges we live, we live, we leave, as well as in the psychological and social effects we have on those around us. And I think, this and also, is, what we do is affected to what those before us did, of course, as well. But I think, I think the what, what I what I take away from 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 this piece is is to live with the knowledge that I am living my personal life. I have my food, I have my house, I have all the things that are me. And then what should be the greater part of my life is really the immortal part. The, the artifacts, whether, whether it's a piece that we write, or a book we write, or a house we build, and so on. Or are artifacts, we show. And there's the psychosocial impacts that we have. And those leave a wake that lives way beyond us. And what I would ask all of our listeners, is really to think about this day, today, as you're listening to this, or yesterday, or last week. How many actions can you point to that you can say, 
I left my immortal imprint on the world. There was that action positive. It doesn't have to be huge, like you said before. But it has to be a constant living with the knowledge I need to live an immortal print from every single day. So again, like I said, you know, we we have all of our personal stuff, which is great. Our food, our exercise, our sleep, our work, whatever we put into that, that's not immortal. That's dying. That's ending as right as we started. But there is so much of our lives that is meant to be an immortal part. And living with that knowledge, okay, what is the positive wake I left in the world today? We should be thinking about this in the morning. We should be thinking about this at night. We should think think about this throughout our lives. I think often people are so punishing of themselves. Like, it's, am I, I feel bad. I feel good. I did this right. I did that wrong. Instead, we should be thinking about, again, what are we taking from ourselves, that power, that strength, our essence, and how are we influencing the world with it? Is it positive or negative? Then it doesn't become about, am I a bad person? Did I hurt that? With all that confusion, right, that we get stuck in, it becomes very, very clear. You become very, very focused on each action you do. And has it done good for the world or has it taken away from the world? And like very simply, just look at your morning. You know, I woke up this morning. Me personally, I had a cup of coffee. I made two of our kids breakfast and lunch, set them off to school, worked out. Then I worked. Now we're sitting here. Why am I saying all this? Because it's not that, uh, look how busy I am. It's that in each and everything I'm doing, I'm thinking, okay, I'm able to do this because people before me came and did great things and paved that way. And also what I'm doing, hopefully is doing the same for somebody else. And I think if you live with that intention, then you're tapping into it. Right, but I I would add an element to that, right? So you you said you made the kids breakfast, right? So I'm not saying you did or did not do this, but that, that... it wasn't robotic, by the way. Exactly. So my point my is, point is in, in those moments, right, I'm writing little notes. Exactly. It, it happened to be Abigail's birthday today, you know, made that special for her. Happy I put birthday, a little Abigail. happy birthday sign in her croissant. And she was like, you know, a thousand percent. And I remember one of the biggest lessons actually was when Abigail was maybe five or six, she turned to me and she said, you know, mommy, when I'm older, I want to be just like you. Now, I could say, oh, it's because I'm a great mom. I didn't take it that way. What I really understood it to be is that I was making her feel safe and secure and loved, and she wanted to do that for somebody else when she got older. It was a part of a bigger conversation, and I understood it to be that. And I thought, wow, that's really powerful. Forget about me feeling like, oh, you know, my daughter loves me. So No, it's that I made her feel something, and she wanted to do that for somebody else. And I think that's the point. Absolutely. And I, so, so to my, what I was saying is that that note that you wrote for her, that's an immortal action. Because that love that she feels as she opens it up and reads it, stays with her, mm-hmm. in her DNA, mm-hmm. in her mind. Mm-hmm. So for the rest of her life, and then with her kids, and her grandkids, this wake and ripple of love with that one action... But I think, and the point is, let's live our lives like that, right? With with the question is, what is the 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 wake? What is the positive wake that I'm? Because again, on the other hand, you could have just packed your lunch right and put it in her bag. That's great; she'll have something to eat today. But you didn't really create a wake of of pot, in this case love. But in in anything and everything that we do, to understand that when you and on the because on the other hand, to real because it relates to something which is an important spiritual understanding, that no energy ever dissipates. Mm-hmm. And and love that we show to a child stays within them, is then given over to their friends and to their families that come from them. By the way, it's important to realize on the negative side, if it, you woke up this morning and yelled at Abigail, that negative energy it would stay with her, and then and then it would, it would go into her kit, and so on and so forth. And 
you know, we're creating immortal effects. Let's be very mindful of, of, of pushing to create more of the positive ones and limiting the, the negative ones. It's interesting. I, I ran into somebody today that I, I exercise with frequently, but I hadn't seen her in a while. And she's going through something. Last time I saw her, she was pregnant. And then I saw her today. And I looked at her. I said, how are you? And she's like, oh, okay. And I just looked at her eyes. And I looked at her stomach. And I realized. And I just went over to her. And we went to the corner and started talking. And I just like jumped into her arms and hugged her, but not like that close, I guess, but I just felt her pain so completely. And at first when she hugged me, she was a little bit tight. And then after we hugged, I, <laughs> no, no, but my, for you though, no, but my heart started, it wasn't even like a thought, you oh. know, my heart started, you know, when you get the flutters in your heart, yeah. when you feel a connection with somebody and at the same time, her shoulders melt and she leaned in and it was a really beautiful experience. And those are the kinds of things that are immortal, exactly. you know, whether she, I mean, I, I think that she felt it, I'm pretty sure. But like, for me, it's, it's that, that's the person that I want to be in life going forward. You know, and I can give just different examples of from the mundane to how I appreciate the person that created my workout to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who worked tirelessly to, to give me the ability to, to do many things as a woman, you know, to own a home, purchase one and have it in my own name or, uh, my own credit cards or whatever it is, because she forged that way. We can look at even my spiritual teachers, your parents, the Reverend Karen. There was no women studied Kabbalah, let alone taught it. You know, I would not be writing books or speaking had they not forged that way. So I think it's a really beautiful way to live. Um, author and historian Stephen Robert Kuda said, the sacrifice our ancestors gave yesterday gave us our today and our tomorrow. And I think that that just, it's that circuitry. Right. And again, and it's hopefully inspiring our listeners to say, what are the sacrifices that we're making to live that, that immortal imprint? And also, I don't think it's even just, yes, sacrifices. And it's not, I don't want people to go to the place of, I have to create something that's never been created before. No, it's no, no, no. You can it's create love off. that never existed. You can the, create, every time you show love to your spouse, your child, your friend, stranger, you're creating love that never existed before. Right. I don't want people to think that I need to be... Write a book. Yeah. So, for instance, if you look at an automaker, and if every automaker redesigned the wheel each time they designed a car, and started from scratch, and not building on the work of the person before them, where would we be? Right? So, it's having that awareness that we're building off of what has already existed. It's kind of about tapping into that and creating your own yes sure but it's an energy that's already out there in the world but also i think i think it's really important to underscore like you said that that it's not about big things yeah. one of my favorite kabbalists from about 2000 years ago his name was yohanan the shoemaker and the story is told that he put so much love into the shoes that he made that anybody who wore them was transformed by them and i think that's the way we want to view our lives not that i have to do something that everybody's going to cl- you know the whole world's going to know about right i'm going to make a pair of shoes then you're you're going to wear them and you're just going to feel love from them and so on and so forth so i think i think i actually think the greater impact that we can have with this with this wisdom with this podcast is to really inspire our listeners to take many 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 small actions that are immortal on a daily basis with Father's Day coming up, I actually thought about your father and my father, who were both my fathers, really, because they're no longer here. And about that would make you kind of my sister, which is kind of strange. <laughs> <laughs> You're so weird. With what kind of imprint they left on me? It's as you said, the Zohar 
teaches that we all pass in this world, but the light we bring to it never leaves. And I was thinking about some of the most profound experiences that I had with the Rav, your father, and my father separately. But I still remember it as if it was yesterday because the Rav fully, like in that moment, took away so much pain that I was experiencing. And uh, it was shortly after I'd given birth to Josh, and I was still in shock and in a lot of pain, um, physically, right, with the C-section, but also wounds that weren't visible to the eye. And uh, it was the second day we were home and Josh was still in the NICU. And uh, and we had a knock on the door and your father walked in and there were no words. I was in bed actually. And I think you were in bed sitting next to me, but I was like really under the covers, like in bed. And the Rob just walks over to our bed, pulls up a chair and, and just sits there. And we we sat in silence for 20 minutes and 20 minutes. And uh, then the Rav looks up at me and I'm going to cry because it was, it was, and he said, it didn't just happen to you. And just like that, I can't tell you, it was like everything made sense. And really he took away 70% of the pain I was experiencing. And I think, and that's immortal, immortal. that's everlasting. And I know that when I speak about the Rav or anybody who's left an imprint in that way and they're no longer here, you bring them back to life in the physical also. Absolutely. And actually, there's actually a beautiful teaching uh, from the Talmud. It says that it's important whenever you you heard something of wisdom from somebody, when you repeat it, to always say, I heard from this person, to mention their name. To bring them. And it says that when you do that, and of course this means it spiritually, their lips move in the grave. Right? That's the idea. They're actually bringing them to life. And that's why there's another teaching that says, if you leave children or students in this world, you never die. That's beautiful. Yeah. So then since that is what happened, I'll share something that my father told me too. <laughs> his lips can move in the grave. I think, and I only realized this after he passed, but he, I really didn't realize it when he was alive, but he taught me that vulnerability invites our own ability to love and be loved, which I was already living kind of in that realm, of being vulnerable. He said those words are just the way he lived? No, or? but the way he lived, but what I I hadn't understood until he passed is that he showed me that the internalized ability to be loved is just as powerful as the external force of loving. Say that again, say that again. That the internalized ability to be loved, right? Not everybody is able to right. receive love, right? So that ability is just as powerful as the external force of loving. So I always knew that I could, I have healthy attachment, I can love, but that ability to be loved, I didn't realize was directly because of him, because he loved me so completely and wholly and fully. I was able to recognize love and receive love. Interesting. You know, like through my darkest times, he never shamed me and he never judged me. He was so supportive in unspoken ways even. And, uh, and he, I mean, the other thing, I mean, he would say, I love you to me, my mom, my sisters, not always my mom, they fought a lot, but, but he would say it to her too. But he would say, I love you maybe six or seven times a day. And, you know, we never questioned if we were loved, never, ever. And uh, yeah, so he gave me that gift to, to, know what, to know what love feels like. Beautiful. So what would you say the greatest gift your parents gave you is? Wow, so many, really so many on a physical level, on a spiritual level. It's hard to pick just one, but if I had to pick one, 
I would say that there's nothing that can't be done. That's the way they live their lives. There was never any limitation. There was always, what is the next great thing that we're going to do, and the next great thing after that, and the next great thing after that, without any limitation. So, like I said, I think, I mean, I could... Limitless, they lived. Limitless. Yeah. They did. They lived, and they yeah. taught, and they influenced. And that, that's what I would say. And in mortal ways, actually. That yeah, is how they lived their lives. Absolutely. And what I would say is, and this is really important, is that I learned from them a lot more from the way they lived their lives than any words, even though there were many words of wisdom that they taught. And I think as we think about this, and we think about living an immortal life, and leaving that wake of, of, of immortal actions, it's not just about going over to your children and saying, I love you, which is very important to do that as often as you can. But also, if you live a life where your kids see you unhappy, where you live a life where your kids see you, you know, not reach for your dreams, and so on and so forth, then it doesn't matter that you tell them every day you're limitless, and you know, that won't have really any real effect. So we leave an immortal wake, not just in the words and actions, but also in how we live our lives. And, and people see us, especially those who are close to us, see us live our lives. I mean, it's funny, remember, I'm, you remind remember the other day we were coming out of a restaurant, and you saw this woman spit her drink out in laughter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? So, so, at, at, they were, yeah, so, she was at a table with her friend, and two men, I thought one was probably her husband, he was. And I know that, because she, she spit her drink out, and she was laughing so hard, I was just watching her, and I started laughing also, just because it made me happy to see somebody laugh that hard. I love those moments in life, so much so that I went over to the table, and I was like, thank you so much for making me so happy in this moment, because that was just awesome. And then the guy next to her turned to me, he's like, that's why I married her. <laughs> <laughs> Very cute. But my point is, that's what we're talking about, right? It's not only about, you know, how can I consciously live in a mortal wake through actions and words, but in the way I live my life. She wasn't, right, she clearly wasn't thinking, she was spitting out her drink and laughter, oh, let me make Monica Berg, you know, sort of happy in this moment, but <laughs> she did. Monica Berg, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, because, but she did, because that's the way she was living her life. And it's important that we, that we ask ourselves the question, when people look at my life, when people look at me, not in the, in, in the way where I'm being proactive and interacting with them, but just the way I am being in life, is it inspiring immortal positivity or, or something else? Mm. So ultimately, ultimately what we're saying is we can peer into that sense of the eternal and knowing that we are forever in partnership with the Creator, with God. And I think that, again, that's part of everything we were saying today, and that the limits we perceive in our lives are not real. They exist if we believe them into being. So I think it's to see and view yourself in a way that really is limitless, that what you're doing is immortal. Of course, you have to make sure your actions meet that consciousness, but to stop with all of the, I can't because, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to spend time with my kids and get silly when I finish all this other serious stuff I'm meant to do. I had this epiphany like two years ago, and really it's something that I've come to more and more in the last few weeks, is that as seriously as I take the work that we do, and it's it's my purpose, it's everything, right? I, I've learned to really appreciate that part of why I'm in this life is to be silly and to have laughter and to enjoy my children it's to experience those parts too i'm not sure i've always done that in past incarnations or earlier in this life honestly it was very very heavy my beginning of my life and to know that all that is immortal yeah yeah those moments of silliness yeah. those is, moments is of what's joy. it's so it's because it sounds almost even as i'm saying it's like oh is that as important as doing the spiritual work it's it actually is the imprint karl popper a philosopher and professor said we are social creatures to the inmost center of our being. The notion that one can begin anything at all from scratch, free from past or un, 
indebted to others could not be conceivably more wrong. Yeah, so we should just realize that everybody and everything is a spark of light. And, and uh, immortal, and make sure that we're actively living actions and being in ways that leave a wake that are immortal and positive in the world. Yeah. Thank you, Monica. So I'd like to share a letter from one of our listeners. Hello, Michael and Monica. I'm Adam. I love your letter. I'm not sure why you mentioned my name first. We always say it's Monica oh, and Michael. Oh, stop it. It's silly. So appreciative of the limitless channels to this wisdom for others that you are. Thank you for validating, renewing, and teaching slash guiding me along the way with every episode, and specifically the most recent and every parenting episode as we raise our 11 and 8-year-old children. That wisdom shared has no choice but to spill out into our community now. Monica, additionally, hearing you recently share intimacies about you and your father has so positively impacted the already very close and strong relationship my daughter and I have. Michael, these last 13 or so years of study and practice have taken me, my family, all of us, to places hardly imagined, and your Saturday consciousness given are the building blocks. Lastly, at this stage, I feel like we are friends. Yes, Anna, yeah. we are friends. <laughs> Having a relationship with the Creator and listening to friends like you has helped continually reframe everything as time goes by. And so whenever I feel the need to have a laugh with some friends, I dial up the live Q&A episode from Rosh Hashanah that features Dan Wheeler. <laughs> Soundbite. Uh, this Dan Wheeler. Sound, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, that I was also in attendance for. By the way, if you haven't, any of our listeners, this probably doesn't mean very much to you. I do recommend listening Dan is to the Dan man. the Man in our uh, Q&A session uh, from about a, uh, 10 months ago or so. Beyond appreciative of it all, Adam. So first of all, Adam, thank you very much for sharing that with us. Yes, you, we are friends, absolutely. And we so appreciate and really connected everything we spoke about today, that we are leaving a positive impact and wake in your life and your family's life. And hopefully in so many of our listeners, this is the perfect opportunity to remind all of our listeners to send your stories, inspirations, maybe positive wakes that you've left in your life and to other people, to Monica and Michael at spirituallyhungry.life, Monica and Michael at spirituallyhungry.life, questions, comments, stories, positive wakes you've left, stories of our friendship. <laughs> and as always, don't forget to share this podcast with everybody you know. Go to Apple Podcasts, write five-star reviews, and uh, share this with more and more people, family, friends, leave an even more positive impact in the world. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed recording. Stay spiritually hungry.